Revelation chapter 3, we've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, this message, we are on church number 6. We've seen five of the churches so far. We're on church number 6 tonight. It's going to be the church of Philadelphia. And we are going to learn how to, as the title says, stand strong under attack. But as a reminder, before we go there, I want you to think with me on the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 we go through this every message. Going to go through it again tonight until we all have it memorized. And I don't have it memorized yet, so it might take me 22 chapters before I'm done. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 says this. This is the Lord Jesus talking to John the Apostle. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 has its own divine outline. Write the things that you have seen, John, the things that are past. Chapter 1 was the past, the glory of, of God, the glory of Yeshua, the glory of Christ, right? Chapter 1 was the past. Chapters 2 and 3 are the present. Write the things that you have seen, the things which are, the things which are, again, the present. Chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of the book of Revelation, the church age from the time that Jesus died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. His Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost. From that moment, all the way up until the rapture of the church, we are living in the day of chapters 2 and 3, the place where we are in this message uh, in chapter 3, looking at the church of Philadelphia. So we are in the present right now. And we're going to see how this relates to us in the present. And then, of course, the future begins in chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, chapter 4, verse 1 begins. In other words, after the church age is done. And then from chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation, all the way through to the end, chapter 22, it is the things that will take place after the church age is completed. Does that make sense? So again, the book of Revelation, real simple. If you make this book hard on yourself, it will become difficult. But if you stick to that, God tells us, this is how you read my book. Past, present, and the things that are still to come, right? The great tribulation is coming, the mark of the beast, all those things, right? Don't make this book harder on you than it needs to be. And I've said this before, too. If you get weird on this book, right, this book will get weird on you, okay? But if you stick to it, there's so many people that read the book of Revelation and say, well, it says here that there's something about the mark of the beast. Well, what does that mean? Well, it really doesn't mean the mark of the beast. It really means this, or this, or this. Listen, if you stick with what it says, you can get it. You can look at technology. You can understand, you know what, the day is coming when everybody is going to be scanned to buy or sell. And we can tell we are very, very, very close to that day coming. Where there are signs and symbols the Bible will tell us it looked alike or it appeared as. You go, okay, this is symbolic. But those other things, it is this, the mark of the beast. It is the mark of the beast. Don't get weird on the book. The book won't get weird on you, and it will make it much easier for you to be able to understand this book. So here we are. We are learning how to stand strong when under attack tonight as we are with the sixth church in the present age, the church of Philadelphia, number six. It is known as the Faithful Church. Next message, next Sunday, next message, we're going to look at the seventh and final church, 
the lukewarm church, the church of Laodicea, the kind of church that makes Jesus sick. That's next time, next Sunday night. Right now we're looking at the faithful church. This is a this is this is fantastic. Chapter three, verse seven begins. This is the Lord talking to John and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Right. These things says he who is holy. He who is true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Let's stop here for a few minutes and just get a look at this. You look at this. This is pretty encouraging. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to you and saying, I know you have a little strength. You've been beaten up. But you want to know, you haven't denied me. You've kept my word. Man, this is awesome. Stay strong. I like that. I, I think that that's what I want the Lord to hear of me and to hear of, or to say of us, say of me and say of you guys. Listen, you may have been ridiculed. You may have been mocked like the Church of Philadelphia. You may have had all kinds of intense pressures against you, but you have not denied me. You have been strong. When you've asked, who is Jesus? You've been able to say, this is who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. You knew you were going to get mocked. You knew you were going to get ridiculed. You might be someone that's in college, and you know the professor is going to come down on you, but you stand strong anyways. This is it. And Jesus, what an encouraging thing it is to hear something like that from Jesus. Well, let's look at this entire passage with the Church of Philadelphia with some questions and some answers. So you ready? Okay, first question is this. How does Jesus describe Himself? Verse 7, we just read it. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens the door, no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. By emphasizing His holiness, He emphasizes that He is God. His holiness qualifies Him to be both Savior and Judge. That He is true means that He is genuine. He is not a copy. He's not a fake. He is authentically God. He is holy. He is true. Again, if you notice in your Bible, the words are in red. This is Jesus describing Himself. So a thousand voices claim to have truth. I will tell you the truth. This is the truth. Jesus Himself says, I am holy, I am true. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus says, look, I am it. To the church of Philadelphia, he says it is true, he is true, and as such, Jesus can be utterly depended upon. So why can Jesus be utterly depended upon? Because Jesus is the Lord of our comings and goings. Note here again, Chapter 3, verse 7. He who has the key of David. He he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. What is this all about? The Bible exposition commentary says, the background of this imagery is Isaiah chapter 22. In that chapter, Assyria had invaded Judah. As Isaiah had warned, this is what's going to happen. Assyria will invade. 
But the Jewish leaders were trusting in Egypt. And they were not trusting in God. Listen, this same thing is going to happen in, in, I believe, the not-too-distant future. The Jewish leaders are going to be trusting in man and not trusting in God, which is going to cause them to enter into the covenant, Daniel chapter 9's covenant, of false peace and false security. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 28, the Bible tells us that the Jewish rulers of the last days entered into an agreement with shul and death and the devil because of the scourge that is coming against them. So we get the idea that in the last days, the Jewish rulers in Israel are going to see something that's coming against them that's going to be really bad. And instead of looking to God to protect them, they're going to sign their name on a covenant with the Antichrist. So in the times past, Assyria is out there. And instead of trusting to God, trusting in God, according to Isaiah chapter 22, the Jewish leaders trusted in Egypt to deliver the nation. And one of the treacherous leaders of that time was a man named Shebna, who had used his office not for the good of the people, but for his own private gain. God saw to it that Shebna was removed from office and that a faithful man, Eliakim, was put in his place and given the keys of authority. As such, Eliakim was a picture of Jesus Christ, the dependable administrator of the affairs of God's people. So here we are told, Jesus says of himself, I have the keys of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Also in chapter 1, verse 18, if you turn back there just one page, Jesus says this about keys. I am he who lives, chapter 1, verse 18, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades, and I have the keys of death. So Jesus is basically saying, I have the keys of everything. Keys mean authority. Jesus can be utterly depended upon because also, since he has the, key, has the keys essentially to all things, also he can be utterly dependent upon because Jesus is the eternal heir of David's throne and therefore of his authority. Likewise, Jesus can be utterly dependent upon because he is the creator of the universe with all the authority that it entails. He has the keys to all things. What else? Jesus can be utterly dependent upon because Jesus is mankind's redeemer. He bought us with a price. Jesus holds all keys. He can be utterly dependent upon. And that's important to remember whenever you are facing pressures and trials as this church in Philadelphia was facing. Understand this. The eternal reward always outweighs the temporal pain and the temporary pressures and the temporary trials that we are going through it all says listen we are going to that place in heaven where there's no more tears no more sorrow no more pain no more death the lame will walk the blind will see the deaf will hear jesus did it when he was here but when we get there man it is all gone there's no mortuaries there's no hospitals there's none of that stuff you want to know what else there is really good food in heaven I was talking with one of my friends, Manny, just before I came out here. And, and I, I like Mexican food like a lot. In fact, I like a lot of food, but I really like Mexican food. 
but I've had this issue with, with hot sauce. I've, I've eaten habaneros for years and jalapenos. Oh, man. And then for some reason, a couple months ago, I realized, I, probably six months ago, I eat anything spicy. It is just killing me. And then I, I mean, how many of you are old like me and start to experience these? Okay, so you know what it is, right? I'm going, how old am I? I'm only 32. I can't believe this is happening to me already. That's my daughter. Thank you very much, dear. <laughs> so anyways, wow, better watch what I say. Uh, so I said, you know, I got to lay off. I, I mean, I'm like eating paste picante sauce. Mild. I mean, it's like ketchup with onions or something. I mean, what is this, right? I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening. Oh, my. Oh, oh, oh. So, but I thought, I was talking with him. I said, you know, in heaven, you know, there's, think of all the varieties of food and all of the varieties of cultures and all the varieties of people. When we get to this food is cursed and it's really good. Can you imagine? I get to eat hot sauce again and it can be as hot as I want and I can have enchiladas and burritos and tostadas and fish tacos with all kinds of habaneros. I may have to sleep. But the, listen, the eternal rewards always outweigh the temporary pain. In this church of Philadelphia, they are going through some pressures. But Jesus can be utterly depended upon. Amen? Amen. Second question. What is an open door? Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 again. Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. As we've seen with all of the churches so far, and we will with the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works in the church. He knows what this church is about. Uh, he knows what I'm all about. He knows what we're all about. Jesus is watching us. I know your works. And in this case, it's a really good thing. And then Jesus evokes the image of an open door. Uh, to realize the power of that, right? He says, I've set before you an open door. To realize the power of this, think of a door that is closed. Uh, the fun, the music, no, you can't, you're, you're not invited, right? You got dissed, all of your friends got invited. Think of the door that's closed, the fun, the music, the opportunities, the cool people. Uh, you're not cool. You don't get to come here. The excitement is on the other side of that door, but it's closed. Billions of people living on earth feel that almost all doors of opportunity are closed to them. Uh, they're stuck. And I wish this would open to me. And I wish that would open to me. And we know from verse 7 that Jesus sometimes closes doors, but in verse 8, He only speaks of an open door that no one can shut. I, I like this. If He opens a door, no one can shut it. I, I think it's so cool because you can realize maybe there's a door of opportunity that's open for you, and you're worried, what if it closes? What if it... Don't worry about it. It ain't going to close and just, and, and unless Jesus says, okay, we're done here. And then He closes the door. And then you move on, right? In fact, you don't even have to push doors open. So I gotta get through that door. I got Jesus saying, I ain't gonna open that door. He's gonna if he shuts it, it ain't gonna open for you. But
But if it's open and He's opened it for you and you have a great opportunity, enjoy it, appreciate thank Jesus, and it's going to stay open as long as He wants it to stay open. The one with the keys, uh, the authority, has opened this door for the church of Philadelphia, and He does it for His children, for us sometimes too. And if you don't have an open door right now, don't worry about it. Jesus wants that door closed. He'll open it at the right time. Number three, where does this door or where does the door lead? The New Testament usually speaks of open doors in terms of ministry opportunities. Acts chapter 14. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Right? So open door of faith to those who aren't Jews. Colossians chapter 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. What else do we have? For a great and effective door has opened to me. 1 Corinthians 16. And there are many adversaries. Look, I, I look at this and I think, you know what? This is really cool. There are a whole lot of open doors that God has just blown open for us in this ministry. And it is so exciting. We have the, the breaking news program. We have another news, a little 10-minute news program that we do every week that's starting to get picked up by these, these organizations all over the country, and they're putting it everywhere. And books, and I, I, I don't think I shared this with you all yet, but I have an opportunity and started working on it last December, I think it was, a documentary regarding the nation of Israel. And to me, this is, did I share this with you before? This is really exciting. So what, what happened was, um, I just, yes, like you guys, I got this passion for God's Word and the Jews and, and, and all of these things going on with Israel. And I can see it. You can see it, right? We know the days that we live in. And I know the uh, book of Romans tells us that God is not done with Israel. And right now there's an open door to the Gentile nations, but there's also an open door to still share with Jews. And I look at this, and this is exciting. So we started this documentary, and my goal in the documentary is to combat the BDS movement, boycott, divest, sanction movement, and all of the things that are happening against Israel, and things that are happening primarily within the church of the United States of America that, that uh, teaches replacement theology. I've had opportunity to interview a, a UN ambassador. I have opportunities coming back real soon to interview some real well-known people. I can't mention their names until after I interview them. And I'm looking at this going, this is just absolutely crazy and some, and some other things I can't yet tell you about. But here's the thing of it. So we look at these open doors of opportunity. God opens them up. And here's the thing. So I'm the person that does these things because God has gifted me and called me to do them. But you join me. I look at this, and, and in my mind, Sunday night, I'm not trying to make everybody on Sunday morning jealous, but on Sunday night, listen, you guys support this. This is what, I mean, you're here. That is encouraging for me. People watching via the internet, that is encouraging for me. Did you know, check this out in, in uh, Matthew chapter 10. I got to read this to you, because this is encouraging, because it's not just, it's not just me. Listen to this. In chapter 10, verse 41, Jesus speaking. Verse 40, he who receives 
you receive me, and he who receives me receives him who, that be the Lord, who sent God, who's the Father who sent the Son. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's award. So here's this. In other words, we're in this together. And, okay, I get to go do these things. I know that, that if, if I am faithful, there's a reward for me in heaven. But I know because you join me, you partner with me in, in the work together, just by your presence, it's encouraging. You guys get a reward. I think, I don't know, I think that's pretty... I said, wait, that's just not right. I got to do all the work. You just sit there. No, but really, but seriously, it is pretty cool, isn't it? I think it's pretty cool. So let's move on because I'm going to get stuck rambling and I will be here for four hours talking. Uh, Number four, what are the best doors? Uh, If you're hoping for doors to riches and and glory of this world, you might be disappointed. Um, I think maybe when a person first comes to Christ, they're thinking, man, I got bills to pay and I, I got problems with my bank account. Fix it, Jesus. And after a while, you realize, oh, he's not necessarily fixing all this stuff. He, he's helping you to think better, though. And he helps you to make a lot better decisions with your money, doesn't he? And then he also strengthens you to not be tempted to spend your money on stupid things, doesn't he? And so you start to realize, okay, I might not be rich in this world. Some people are. There are some believers that God has blessed with money and they use it for ministry. Praise the Lord. And that's awesome, right? But for the rest of us, we look and we go, okay, our riches, this is what we really know. When we, the best doors are the doors that minister for those things which have eternal value. And the doors of ministry. And we realize there are open there, there are open doors. And I can honestly say that sometimes ministry can be really frustrating, uh, like everything else in this world, right? Because we're human beings. But at the same time, when you see God doing remarkable things, one person gets saved. You know, you hear that. That's, that's really an amazing thing. You know, one person getting saved is crazy, especially when they get saved through an email. You're thinking, how does that work? But you start looking and you go, this is incredible, and there's a joy inside when you're part of the whole thing, and you're thinking, this is just so outrageous. All of these things have eternal dividends, and you're thinking the best riches, the, the best thing of all is, uh, is the things that will last forever. There can be no better news than hearing from Jesus that he is about to open a door for you, a door that no one can close, especially when that door has eternal consequences in a very good way in a good way number five with all this good from the lord what is the problem in philadelphia because there's problems with all these churches right well not necessarily with the church itself like smyrna and with philadelphia it wasn't with the church but it's the pressure that they were under an amazing door of opportunity is about to open for them but the church of philadelphia is weak they're not weak in their devotions. They're not weak in loving the Lord. They're not weak in any of those things. They are people who have been so beat up because of their faith. And picture somebody, a boxer, getting into the ring. He's getting beat up around life. Get, or, or the WWE goes out and gets beat up. And then somebody from the other corner jumps in. And somebody in the fans throws a chair at him. And, you know, stuff like that. These guys are getting beat up from everywhere. Chapter 3, verse 8, you have little strength. 
Yet Christ doesn't see that little strength as being a bad thing. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my faith. They're tired, they're exhausted, but they've kept his word. They haven't denied him. Here's the scoop. Their weakness, according to Jesus, is really, in this context, is a badge of honor. How does this work out in real life? He gives us the power in our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You ever notice that as a Christian? Here's why. It's because when you're feeling strong, you're not so dependent upon the Lord. I got this, Lord. It's kind of like your prayer time. When you're not praying about something, You're really saying, God, I got this. You don't need to get involved in this matter. I think I can handle this one on my own. Oh, yeah, try that and see what happens. You want to, okay, you don't want me involved? Good luck. I'll see you in a few days when it doesn't work out, right? (laughs) It's when we come to the end of our own ingenuity, our own cleverness, our own physical and mental strength that we realize our dependence upon Him. When we stop trusting in our strength and turn fully to Him, we see power. A power that we've never imagined. We see His strength. Keep this in mind. When you think of prayer, because prayer is really our dependence upon God. The difference between the best you can do, prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. And without being dependent upon God, you're doing the best you can do. When you are dependent upon Him, you are turning to Him. This is where Philadelphia was. So God says, man, I see you're weak, but guess what? You've got a right-on relationship with me. You are dependent upon me. I am going to make you strong. So their weakness is a badge of honor. He gives us power in our weakness. He also gives the church of Philadelphia, He gives them the best compliment. You have kept my word. May Jesus Christ look at this congregation and all those who are watching on Video, may, may Jesus Christ look at us and say the same thing. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Shortly before he was crucified, Jesus prayed for his disciples. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Right? That's Jesus talking to the Father about these men. Regarding the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul doesn't say I was perfect. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says, Man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. He's not saying, I was perfect, but I did stay in the fight. I did stay in the game. It was tough. I fought through. I have kept the faith. And may the Lord Jesus Christ say of all of us, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Again, he is not saying you are perfect. There are none who are perfect but God. But you stood in there. The church of Philadelphia is hanging tough. They're hanging tough under a whole lot of pressure. What else do we have here? Their weakness is a badge of honor. And he gives warnings about the spiritual battle. He gives warnings about the spiritual battle. Hang in there. I promise we'll be done shortly. I know you don't believe me, but we really will. Verse 9, look at this. 
Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my word to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So what's the synagogue of Satan? Well, synagogue is an assembly of Jews. In this case, it's a group of Jews that are not seeking the Lord, but they are actually doing the work of Satan. Maybe unintentionally, but that's what they're doing. Think of the Apostle Paul when he was first Saul, right? What was he doing? He thought he was doing the work of God, but he was really doing the work of Satan as he was gathering up Christians in order for them to be murdered. In the same sense, you're of the synagogue of Satan. You're, you're, you're a real Jew is going to understand the real word, right? You're going to come to the fullness and understand that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. He says, but these people, like the Apostle Paul, think they're of God, but they are not of God. And when they gather together, they are against the Christian and they're against Christ, they're against all things Jesus, and they're actually on Satan's team. And since it is Satan that's behind us, it is a spiritual battle. But the good news is that regardless of the attacks against them, Jesus can be utterly depended upon in their weakness. He will prove himself to be strong on their behalf. Which takes us to the next question. How do you fight spirits? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, I think it's a good question. You guys got all the answers? (laughs) I think it's a great question. How do you fight spirits? The Bible tells us. I'm sure you already know the answer to this. I'm going to tell you anyways. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God, right? It is a spiritual battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So how do you do this? How do you fight against spirits? So we have this passage, right? It's like this. Start by being strong in the Lord. Rely on the power of His might recognize that our battle is not physical, but it is spiritual. There really is a spiritual army led by Satan that is out to get you. It's probably not Satan attacking you personally, but he has his demons. He has his army out there. We know through looking at various various passages in the Bible, we know there is an invisible world that is a real world. It is a spiritual world. And that Satan hates you. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know that there is an evil spirit, evil demon, that oversees Persia. uh, The prince of Persia. We know that from reading the book of Daniel. There is an evil spirit over Persia. Modern day Iran. You might think, how could you say such a thing? Because I've read it in the Bible. Does it mean everybody in Iran is demon led? No, it doesn't mean that. But we see this spiritual force that's there. We also know that Michael the archangel is one who oversees the nation of Israel. We know that by reading the Bible. Because Michael the archangel 
is, is such an awesome angel, does that mean that everybody in Israel that's Jewish is totally awesome? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean, and we're able to get a picture, excuse me for spitting on you, it does mean, I just saw spray go out, you know, that's what you get for sitting, you guys don't have to take a shower tonight. I would if I were you when I get home. <laughs> but I'm sorry for that. But it just happened. I figured you all saw it glistening in the light. So I was like, get her going like this. So anyways, there's a spiritual battle, right? There's an unseen world. It is real. And that's what uh, the Lord is telling John. There's this battle. There's, you got the synagogue of Satan going on. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. Satan hates Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus, he hates you. But there's great news because, check this out, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So there could be a whole army of demons. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're in the Lord, you have the Lord. I also know this because I've read my Bible, that Satan hates the Jews, even if they are not believers. He hates the Jews because he knows that the Messiah is going to return and rule and reign from Jerusalem, and he's going to return to the Jewish people. So the Jewish people must exist. So he knows, if I can get rid of all the Jewish people, the Messiah can't return, because there's no Jewish people to return to. Hence, you have anti-Semitism that has been rampant throughout the centuries in this world. It is a spiritual battle in which we live. And the Lord will defeat any army that's aiming to take out those who are His. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who will dwell on there. I will keep you from I will do it. I will watch over you. I will protect you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this for you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. By the way, this passage right here, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's to come upon the world. This is really a reference to, I believe, the rapture of the church. When will we will be caught up into heaven? But I'm not going to teach on that tonight. Because when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, which is really, really soon. After these things, man, we are going to look at the rapture. It is exciting. You definitely want to bring out your friends for that night. But it's a great reminder. I will keep you from the hour of trial. It's a great reminder when you're going through any pressures, any trials. Listen, it is going to be over one day. And I believe it's going to be over one day soon. And herein, what is, this, is, this church of Philadelphia is like David fighting against the Goliaths. And we are reminded that we may have Goliaths that are out there, and you might have Goliaths in your life right now. You got one? Listen to this. Remember, keep in mind, that every miracle must have an impossible problem. And you can have a Goliath, you can have an impossible, impossible problem right now. You hang in there, you trust in the Lord. And if He doesn't fix it in this life, He's going he's gonna to bless you like crazy in the next life. But I do know this. We all have our Goliaths. We all have our trials. And we trusted the Lord in the process as the Church of Philadelphia was. We're almost done. Scouts honor. I promise. What else do we do in our spiritual battle? You remember that Jesus is coming again. Uh, right after he talking about removing 
Then from the trial which will engulf the whole world, He talks about His return. Behold, verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast that, to what you have that no one may take your crown. That no one may take your crown. Get this. So behold, I am coming quickly, right? You know what that term means? It's the same term, same teaching, Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So in chapter 1, verse 1, let me show you what's shortly going to take place. Chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. What's that term means? It means this. That when the last days approach, all of the events, all of the signs that are signified, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, will start to pick up speed, uh, like fast. Uh, the Bible, Jesus himself and also the Apostle Paul, liken the last day signs to birth pains upon a pregnant woman. I've never been pregnant. I know that's a surprise to some of you, but I haven't. But I'm guessing you women know how they work. I've read about them, but as the baby is about ready to, as you're about ready to give birth, the birth pains increase with frequency and intensity, right? The, the, the closer and closer the the contractions, and the more painful everything becomes. So, when we look at nation fighting against nation, people group against people group, we look at earthquakes, we look at pestilence, we look at technology of the mark of the beast, we look at the hundreds of signs that the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming soon. As you get closer and closer, it means, man, the closer you get, the faster everything's going to happen. And I can assure you this, I told somebody just last week, uh, again, I, I promise you I'm almost done. I know you don't believe it. Sorry for all you here first time. But I really am almost done. When I first started teaching Bible prophecy, some 20, some average 20, almost probably 25 years ago, like one sign would happen about once every six months. And you do a prophecy update based on that one sign. This is what happened this year. Right? Or this is what happened last six months. And, uh, and, and then it start seeing these things happen. About once a month I'd have a news story. Go, wow, I can relay that to the Bible. This is crazy. And then it started happening about every week. <clears throat> Just a few years ago, about every week. And then about two years ago it was every day. So in the course of seven days, I've got seven news stories. I'm like, this is off the charts. Which of the seven do I want to talk about? Then it started happening not just every day, but several times every day. So I'm doing this news program now on Tuesday mornings, right? I am going to go with a list of stories that's like a mile high just between Saturday and tomorrow. I know I'm going to re we have a live program at 10 a.m. I'm going to get updated news right up to 10 a.m. By the time I'm done at 11, there's going to be breaking news that has happened. Right? By the time it's 11.30, I'm thinking, why did that happen two hours ago? I could have talked about it. It is happening every hour Every half hour, it seems like every time I go on the internet, I've got another, another, another. That is the idea. It, when it starts happening, baby, it is going to happen and happen and happen. It is going to happen fast. It is going to happen suddenly like this. Concerning the times, First Thessalonians and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety... Then, sudden, quickly, shortly, 
sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us be about our right mind, knowing that Jesus could come at any moment. Uh, things are going to happen really, really, really fast. And Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 12, when it comes to the last, these things of the last days, the wicked will not understand. They will continue to get, do wickedly. In other words, they'll continue in worse immorality. But he says, but the wise will understand. They'll get it. They'll look at all of these things. They'll say, wow. Right? Last question. I promise. What is the crown? Because it says here, look at this, verse 11 again. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. Listen, the crown here is not a reference to you walking around eternity with a gold hat on your head. All right? Some people want to. Hey, that's, if, if that's going to make you happy in heaven, praise the Lord. You're going to have a gold hat on your head for all of eternity. Some people, they want to play harp for all of eternity. I don't. I probably won't go look to your harp class. But if you want to play harp for all of eternity, if that will make you happy, then, then praise the Lord. But what is it? It's this. A crown here refers to a victor's crown. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. We are not saved by doing good things, but we will be re rewarded for them. Jesus is saying to the church of Philadelphia, after all you've gone through, don't throw away your reward when you are so close to completing the race. Hang in there, hang tough. And he closes with the promise. What's the promise? Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I like it this. I, I look at this, I think, man, this is so cool. I'm going to write on him my name. I'm going to write on him the, the name of my city. The new Jerusalem. That's exciting. Because when you go to Jerusalem, you see God has His name written on the city. The Sheen, how many of you have seen that? You look at the way, God actually has His name written, uh, the name of God on the city of Jerusalem through the three valleys that are there. The, the Tyropian, the Hinnom, and the, the uh, Kidron Valley. It is the craziest thing. I would have had a picture up there if I knew I was going to say that tonight, but it wasn't in my notes. You want to see it next week? Okay, that means you have to come back. What's the promise? Permanent access to the presence of God. Permanent identification with the person of God. You will be a pillar in the temple of God. Permanent access to the presence of God. I will write on Him the name of my God means permanent identification with the person of God. Amen?